What if we could practice for those most difficult moments that we'll face in competition? For those moments when your mind begins to unravel and self-doubt starts to creep in? How could this type of practice change our lives? Not only for sport, but for anything that requires mental toughness. Stay tuned for today's episode number 179 with Sun Sachs, the CEO and co-founder of Rewire Fitness, who will explore this very question with a human performance platform that he created, combining his passion with endurance sports and software development to create an app that many of us have been looking for, providing evidence-based solutions for tracking your readiness to perform, building mental resilience, and improving your mind-body recovery. For those who are new or returning guests, welcome. I'm Andrea Samadhi, author and educator from Toronto, Canada, now in Arizona, and like many of you listening, have been fascinated with learning and understanding the science behind high-performance strategies that we can use to improve our productivity in our schools, our sports, and workplace environments. I can't even tell you how excited I am to share this new platform with you. At the time when mental resilience is crucial for the entire world, not just those who know the importance of mental toughness for sport, but for every one of us, myself included, this is a skill that requires daily practice. Every athlete knows the importance of mental resilience in sport and would tell you that 50 to 90% of what they do is mental when it comes to the focus and the precision needed for their performance. But if you ask them, how much time are you spending training your mind? Most will not have a solid answer for you. I received many emails from people around the world with different ideas and suggestions for the podcast, and I'm laser focused with the direction that we're going and the speakers that we're looking for. But every once in a while, someone comes in front of me, and if I had read the email quickly or not taken the time to understand exactly what their product is, I would have missed an opportunity. And this was the case when I saw the email come in from Rosala Carrington from Rewire Fitness and the heading of her email said, first to market neuro performance for athletes. And in the body of the email, I saw something about an app that unlocks human performance with major investments from Under Armour and elite athletes such as NBA all-star Kyle Korver. Even though it was busy times, I knew it was important to read the email properly. I read these headings, Sunsack's journey as an athlete and why he founded Rewire Fitness. I thought, yeah, I'd love to know this. Then they talked about why cognitive fatigue is a blind spot for most athletes. And I wondered what their solution was. They mentioned why most readiness trackers are using an incomplete data set. And yes, as a fitness tracker user, I've noticed this and I wonder what they see is missing from the solution. They talk about tips for accelerating mind-body recovery. Yes, and I wonder what they were going to suggest. They talk about why the traditional way of building mental resilience is flawed. Exactly, and I don't have all the answers, but I know there's gotta be a better way than pounding the pavement to improve mental resilience. This began my conversation with Rewire Fitness, and I can't even tell you how excited I am about the app. Now that I've signed up for the app, I'm a current user. I just couldn't resist using it before I created the questions. And after using the product, I kept emailing Rosala back with how impressed I was. So if you're an athlete or a regular person like me looking to take your performance to new heights, sit back and listen to this interview. And when it's over, I highly recommend going to their site, Rewire Fitness, and starting your own journey with their free trial they offer. Let's meet Sun Sachs, the CEO and co-founder of Rewire Fitness, and explore this app together. Welcome, Sun Sachs. It's incredible to see you again. Thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. I'm very excited to chat with you. I think there's a lot of uh, 
sort of shared shared vision and uh, goals in common that we have. So excited to get into it. Oh, I'm so excited. And son, it's just been a couple of weeks since Rosella Carrington sent me that email introducing me to your work. And I really do feel like we've known each other for much longer. And I'm not sure, maybe it's because I listened to your podcast of you hiking and all the the stories that you mentioned in there. I just felt so connected to you. And I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. And it wasn't difficult for me to see what you've created fills a need that I noticed when I started tracking HRV to measure performance. But could we start out with when you saw this need and what it took to create this app to fill it? Yeah, that's a great place to start. I mean, uh, to go back a little bit further, just to sort of give some context for the listeners. Uh, So I grew up in Boulder, Colorado. And, um, you know, which is definitely at the time and, and to this day is a, a sort of a epicenter for endurance sports. So I had the opportunity to get involved in bike racing at an early age, and I worked my way up to an elite level. I ended up sort of suffering from burnout and getting a knee injury and having to end my career prematurely. And I also never really reached the pinnacle of sort of success that I wanted to. So that stuck with me. And, you know, I spent 15 years, you know, pursuing, uh, you know, basically wanting to become, uh, you know, a successful professional athlete. And then another 20 years thinking about what went wrong and how to improve. And I've never stopped. So um, that's sort of the backdrop and the motivation. And like you, um, you know, I discovered HRV um, pretty early, uh, actually. about 11 years ago, I was doing a quantified self and really just literally was looking at every possible metric, subjective, objective, heart rate data. HRV wasn't very popular back then. And um, I just uh, looked at all of the measures physiologically and HRV seemed to be the most correlative to sort of my adaptation to training and uh, you know my recovery. And so I put that sort of put that aside. Okay, this is a metric I can use and rely on. Um, But then, you know, I still felt like there was something missing and I couldn't sort of put my finger on it. (laughs) Uh, I started pursuing meditation. I got involved with um, sort of one of the leading yoga centers, uh, you know, in the United States started in the the 20s. Uh, If you've ever read the book, um, Autobiography of a Yogi, by Paramahansa Yogananda. It's an amazing book, pretty metaphysical stories, you know, uh, of India and and the masters. And so I basically got involved in that program and started meditating upwards of three to four hours a day and literally signed um, a a life oath to never reveal any of the secrets. And I kept kept, um, meditating, Uh, got to a level where they basically revealed all of the secrets, or at least the secrets that you know, I, that they said they would reveal at that level. Um, and for me, what I realized was it's incredible practice. Couldn't recommend it uh, more highly. But for me, it didn't really fit into my lifestyle. And so, um, meaning it was actually stressing me out, getting up really early and trying to squeeze in two hours before the day and two hours after the day. <laughs> But I recognize the value and I recognize the sort of the, the, the ability to observe yourself and, and to have more of an even keel, you know, sort of less emotionality and, you know, more observation and more self-awareness. So that, again, I sort of put in my toolkit. This is a, something really important. And then, um, a few years after that, I became aware of the science, which came out um, originally in 2009 around resilience training. And that training had never come to market in terms of a commercial product. So basically what they did in the lab is they would have somebody either on a, a treadmill or on a bike trainer, and they'd put a keyboard with the monitor. And you'd basically do this sort of brain training while you're working out, and it would layer on a a specific type of cognitive fatigue that would lead to performance. Um, but it's a pretty tricky problem to solve to sort of commercialize that. 
uh, and it wasn't until um, probably around 2000, early 2018, I was on the bike trainer and had an epiphany for how it could be done. Uh, and with my 25 years in software development, basically it was just like, okay, this let's make a prototype. Did that with my original co-founder in a few weeks. We started beta testing. And as we learned more, sort of we expanded the product from resilience to really pulling in that uh, sort of a way to get the benefits of mindfulness without the level of expertise that you need. And then the last piece is we brought back in the insights from HRV, but in a more holistic way. So it was a very long journey getting here. Um, and it was really just pursuing, you know, self-improvement, sort of how it started. Well, I didn't know that because not everything we do works out. And sometimes people look at you and, and would see, you know, oh, wow, look, you've created this app, you know, probably like overnight success kind of idea, not knowing the trials that have gone beforehand. And it was very similar for me. Not everything I've ever done has has worked out. And, you know, when something does, you go with it. But in the back of your head, you've got, well, this better work out because of all the work you've done beforehand, which is what I think gave you the resilience, right? Wouldn't you say yes. keep yeah, absolutely. There, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of things that in my life and my life history that have built resilience through my environment and my life experience. And uh, thankfully, that was a tool that I used in order to really make you know help bring this into being with my other co-founders. So, been a labor of love, uh, three years of development to bring it to market, and we you know went uh, went live in uh, in early September this year. I didn't realize it was that quick and I'm so glad you found me because obviously you picked the right person when you when you found me with the email I was just hooked right away I saw uh, I think it was Under Armour and then the pro athlete and then brain training and I thought what is this <laughs> just be and it was pretty easy for me to see it and I know that we don't all need to be pro athletes to know that when it comes to sport, we all know how to train the body, but can you explain what happens if we're missing out on cognitive training and why cognitive fatigue is a blind spot for athletes or anyone looking to improve their mental toughness? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, when we talk to any athlete, um, and, and we're very much talking about you know, the regular athlete that's not a professional that just spends their quality uh, time and, and money and resources to juggle their hectic life so that they can get better physically and improve. When we talk to them, they all say sort of um, that the mental component is at least 50% of their performance. But then when we ask them sort of, well, how much time do you spend training the mind? Like you said, <laughs> there's really not a good answer. And you know, so everybody intuitively understands it, but historically what people typically tend to do is they just say, okay, you know, I'm going to push myself really hard today and that's going to make me mentally tough. And in some respects that's true, but it's a very blunt instrument. So you're, you're essentially, uh, as a side effect, you're getting a little more mental resilience because you have to endure that physical training, but and it works for sure, but it's um, the amount of volume and effort you have to put into it to get a sliver of resilience uh, is frankly, in many cases, not worth it and not very sustainable. Um, you know, So if you're just gonna beat yourself up every single day, eventually your body will break down and then what? You, know, you, just, you can only get so much resilience out of that type of training. Um, and the other side of it to your, to your other question is, um, you know, cognitive fatigue, that has a material impact on all kinds of performance, including athletic performance. And it's not something we think about. You know, these days recovery is, is very, there's a lot of sort of cachet behind it and people are excited about all the tools and the ice baths and the breathing and all that stuff, which is fantastic and it's effective but they're totally overlooking if it's 50% or 
or 80% of your performance, they're, they're not recovering the mind like they would recover the body. So if you think about you're going into a workout, a good sort of thought experiment, which I think most of us have experienced is you're planning a workout. It's at the end of the day due to your schedule. You, um, you have a long, hectic work day, you know, because most of us have day jobs. And at the end of that day, now you have to motivate yourself to go to the gym, go for a run. It's pretty hard to motivate yourself, right? Motivation is certainly impacted by cognitive fatigue. But if you actually got to the gym, went out for the run, it will actually, in most cases, feel harder. And that's because your brain is artificially inflating your perception of effort, which has been proven in those, that early research I mentioned to be a limiter to performance. So in other words, if you're doing the run and it feels harder, what happens? You start to take your foot off the gas. You start to wrestle with, with negative self-talk. You start to think, maybe I'll just... I'm close to my house. I'll just wrap it up ah. right now. I'm having a bad day. <laughs> yeah. 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 So like, just like the, the body, we need to, you know, strengthen the mind and also recover the mind is basically the, the approach that we take. And we know this, but it's, I don't know why we don't talk about it as often as we would talk about, well, you know, what are you doing for your training? Or, you know, how long are you doing your training? No one's asking, how long are you doing your mental training? Yeah, that's right. That's right. You know, and there, there's pockets of it in elite sport, you know, obviously, when you can afford to have a sports psychologist full time helping you, there's self talk visualization. But what we're providing is a system so that it is a structured way to recover and a structured way to uh, become more mentally resilient as opposed to just like hey today i'll just push myself a little harder and i hope i get a little more mentally resilient and there's no way to measure it and there's no way to know if it really worked and you may be going in with a lot of fatigue so maybe today's a bad day to do that and it's just a flip of a coin you know it could be a terrible experience <laughs> it could be a good experience uh, but what we like to do is just provide some structure and some insight so that you can objectively make the right decisions. Yeah, I remember, I don't go to baseball games that often, but I was at a baseball game once in Arizona and I noticed one of the players was meditating and he mm. was off to the side. And I thought, you know, of course I'm going to pick that up. I thought, Look at that guy. He's, you know, I, I told my kids he's doing his meditation and prayer and and everything. But I just thought after I found you, I thought, you know, wouldn't it be a, a good system if he did that all beforehand? And then he was with the rest of the team because he was separated from everyone and, you know, off doing his own thing. But then he's no longer a part of the team and they're all throwing right. the ball around. So I just thought, wouldn't it be neat if they did their mind training separate and then came together as a team? That's when the cohesion yeah. would have happened. That's just what I saw looking at it. Now. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, good, good for him for doing that. And you know, that that's challenging in, and reflective of how it is for a lot of us. So like, when can you find a quiet space to go meditate or you're not going to typically meditate in front of your coworkers, you know, that the, you have to find some way to, to help yourself that fits into the reality or the context of your lifestyle. Um, that's the, the way we built the mindset recovery system, which I'm sure we'll get into, but it basically allows you to do it. You can put the earbuds in, look at the screen or not look at the screen. And while you're working, get some recovery benefit. And that, you know, just being more realistic, sort of modernizing the approach so that you can do it when you need to is key. Um, because what we want is some consistency, you know? Yeah, definitely. So could yeah. we do that? Could we go into the three parts of the app and, um, I'll introduce each part. If you could give the science behind it, just to make sure that we all understand what's happening at the brain. Yes. Each part. Okay. Yeah. Wonderful. So yeah. Perfect. So part one, I, I would say is the readiness assessment. So I wake up at the same time every morning before I grab my coffee, I'm going to grab my phone. 
that has my app on it and I do my readiness assessment and I'm looking for consistency. It's gonna track my lapses and misses, my cognitive fatigue, my readiness. But what is exactly happening? What's the science behind this readiness assessment that you mentioned came from the military? Yes, so, um, you know, definitely you have to be able to measure your current state and measure your progress over time. So that became a very important piece to what we do. Um, when it comes to the science behind it, you know, first off, we do also take into account the, your physiology and your sleep and your heart rate and your training load. We'll bring that all in from third-party apps like uh, Aura Ring or Apple Health or heart rate monitors and so on. So we have that. We have that. And then as a morning practice, what we ask the subject to do is basically do a, um, a cognitive test which is a short 90 second test. And it's a uh, psychomotor vigilance test, which is used, has been used in the military for soldier readiness, uh, as well as in sleep studies, you'll find it a lot. So it's highly correlative to cognitive fatigue. And basically what happens is you see the shape, it's a little game, you see the shape, you tap the screen every time you see the shape. And we track down to the millisecond, your reaction time, as you said, uh, misses and lapses, uh, accuracy. And what that tells us is basically compared to your baseline, how are you doing today? You know, normally you, it takes you, um, let's say 300 milliseconds to tap on the button every time this time it's 325 milliseconds, you know, your X percent off your baseline. Oh, look at this. You also had some more lapses. A lapse would be like, and we've all experienced this outside of this test just for a moment you space out, that's a lapse. Mm -hmm. And if you're having more lapses than normal, that's a clear indication that you have a higher level of cognitive fatigue. So that's one piece of it. The other piece of it is straight out of NASA. Uh, we basically use a subjective scale to uh, analyze your uh, emotional readiness to perform. And it's, it's uh, basically what they use for astronauts, you know, where there's a high bar in terms of their performance. In some cases, it may be life or death or very critical decisions they have to make. And they need a way to not only look at the physical, but also look at the emotional and subjective sort of perspective, because that does add sort of information to the overall analysis. So we take the reaction time test, the NASA subjective questions, and the physiological data, we take all of that together automatically and our algorithm basically says, here's, here's, here's where you're at on a score from zero to 100. So it's very easy to understand. I was 60 yesterday, I'm 71 today and so on. But then um, what's pretty unique is that then it'll tell you, okay, cognitively, you're at 90%. Emotionally, you're at 30%. Physically, you're at 50%. So you might have been very well aware that you were physically at 50%, but that emotional piece, you may not have been aware of at all. For sure. And the cognitive piece, how would you know? How would you know if you're, if you're sharp today or, or fatigued? You really don't, you're not used to looking at that or trying to analyze right. that, and there's no hard metrics to, to understand it. So that whole system sort of basically gives you an objective view of where you're at, which is the first step. That's interesting because I, I understood definitely the, um, you know, as, I, as I'm doing the test daily, that's exactly what I thought. Hey, how does it know that I was scoring lower on the emotional when I, I, I feel like I might have been off one day and I don't know if it was an answer I provided. I thought, how did it pick that up? Was it something I did or is there more to it than that? How would it pick up? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, essentially there are 12 data points that the system uses and they're all weighted and they're all bucketed into the emotional cognitive and physical category so and some of them overlap so for example sleep is going to affect your cognitive recovery as well as your physical recovery you could argue emotional too but in in our case we're looking at we're sort of we have that metric shared between those two buckets other things like if you if you indicate in the questionnaire which is short as you saw it's like four questions and then some information about your lifestyle 
but um, if you say I have a, you know, I'm frustrated on a scale of zero to a hundred, normally you say three and today you say six, it's going to pick up on that and it's going to say, wait a second. <laughs> Frustration has a lot to do with um, sort of your emotionality. And so it's going to pick up on that and, and sort of, uh, you know, adjust the score accordingly. Um, and, you know, when you have a lot of uh, cognitive fatigue too, you have less cognitive control, which means you stop thinking rationally and you start to get more emotional and that it'll pick up on that as well. Oh, that's good. I love it. So let's take that to part two. So now I've done my assessment. Now I'm going into my mindset recovery that I can do perhaps pre-workout to put me in the right mindset, or if I'm an athlete for competition mindset, or even if I have a big podcast presentation to reduce stress. And I love the affirmation and the binaural beats. I put my headset on for that part, but can you explain what's happening in mindset recovery and how it's reducing stress or preparing me for competition? Yes. Um, so what happens is you do your readiness we now understand a lot of context about how you are today compared to yesterday and the day before and so on. So for example, let's just say we pick up that you have a greater amount of cognitive fatigue uh, and, and maybe physical as well. Uh, what the system will do is basically create or architect a recovery system for you based on your needs that day. So it's not a, enough to just say, hey, looks like you got a bad night's sleep, looks like you're physically depleted, take a day off. Because obviously you can't, you, you have your big presentation or you have some trade or you have a big hike or whatever it is, guess what? You still have to perform. So what you do is you click the button for the recovery session and it'll basically create a recipe. And sort of the magic the formula in that is that it's not just saying um, use an affirmation use visualization or do breathing. It's actually combining all of those things together based on your areas of need. So, um, you know, you'll oftentimes start with a breathing modality. Uh, that could be anything from pranayama to box breathing to four, seven, eight. Um, we have a lot of other others as well. That's going to get you potentially, depending on the goal, either into a parasympathetic state or a sympathetic state. You know, if, you, if it's pre-workout, we may want to get you into a sympathetic state. So you're primed. If you're trying to recover, definitely parasympathetic. Uh, and then while you're doing that, you're listening to quote unquote relaxing music, which as you said, is binaural beats blended into the background. That's basically two-tone frequencies, which create a phenomenon known as brain entrainment, where your brain perceives the two frequencies, one in one ear that's a different uh, range and another in another ear that, in the other ear that's a different range. And it combines that or translates it into a third frequency. That third frequency is the binarial beat. And what that does is essentially your brain perceives this low-level wave and we can broadcast Hey, get into a sleep state, get into a meditative state, get into a focus state. And it's going to basically encourage your neurology to get into that state. And we could talk about the science behind it, but it's fascinating. Um, and then we'll bring in things like, as you mentioned, self-talk, which you can program, uh, visualization cues. So you get into sort of a good, uh, a good mindset or think about what's important. Maybe think about a, you know, sort of a gratitude message. Uh, and then lastly, we also, depending on your state, we may bring in subliminal priming, which is, um, that's straight out of science fiction, uh, but there's solid science behind it in that we, because we're social animals and we take many of our fight or flight cues off of each other. So in other words, in a group setting, think of it like a sort of a herd mentality. If one person in the herd is freaking out and scared, the rest of the herd is going to go, uh-oh, let's get ready. So uh, in our case, what we're doing is we're priming the person with um, basically positive imagery, and that's going to tell your physiology, your deep, old physiology, hey, you're in a safe environment. You can be, um, you, you can be in a homeostasis. You can be relaxed. You can let your guard down, and that's going to help with cognitive recovery as well. 
So all of these things work together in one cohesive experience that's anywhere from two to five minutes. Oh my goodness. So you just put everything that I ever learned from this speaker I used to work for all in two to five minutes. And there's so much there. It could be for a CEO who's got to lead their team. And like you said, that everyone feeds off of the leader. Or it could be, you know, for for me that I've got to calm myself down and I'm, you know, I'm choosing to use this mindset recovery. And I also love how you used it when you didn't get enough sleep on your alpine hike because you had to get up at midnight. And that that's the case for a lot of people. They have to travel and, and the schedule says, well, you got to go at three in the morning. That's where you, and, and you, you know that you haven't had a good sleep, but what's the solution? There isn't one. Exactly. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. The reality is we can't, we always want to get a good night's sleep, but we don't always. All right. And when you don't, what do you do? You got to do, you know, ideally you got to do something to help yourself. Um, So what this lets you do is basically you could do what I did on the Alpine climb is I just did hour long back to back binaural beat sessions in place of sleep. Cause it was basically three hours of climbing. I mean, sorry, three days of climbing where I got six and a half hours sleep total. And then we had to, you know, summit. So I'm trying to summit being cognitively sharp with six and a half hours sleep over three days. You know, I'm going to do everything I can to be, <laughs> to be prepared. And thankfully we had the app, um, which also works offline. So we we're able to use the product, you know, without any connectivity. So that's so I thought about that for people sitting on a plane, you know, that that's that frustrating time when everyone's trying to put their bag somewhere. And it's like, I always just plug into something. But then when the plane takes off, if I don't have the internet, some of my programs don't work. Yes. So I love that you could just keep using your system and, and relax yourself while you're on the plane. That's great. Yeah, that's right. I've definitely used it on the plane as well. Love it. So, and then part three is the neuro training. And this is the part of the program that builds my resilience and prepares me for those difficult times that we've all got to face. And with daily practice, I'm working on my willpower muscles and strengthening this part of my brain. Can you explain this part and how this is a better approach than the method that I told you I was using before to build resilience? I think you called it the hammer approach, which was just, you know, (laughs) keep working working out and build that mental resilience. That's all I knew how to do, but um, it took too much time. So I've been looking to do something different to build resiliency and mental strength. So if you could explain this part. Absolutely. So uh, yeah, the science originally came out in 2009. And basically what they did is they had the test subjects do, you know, this, this certain type of brain training called response inhibition, which is basically impulse control. Um, and so your your the questions that they ask are not intuitive and it requires a little bit more discernment. And what we do is with our system, we'll ask in a 10 to 15 minute mental workout, we'll ask over a thousand questions. And so you can imagine how that would sort of overload your brain. And what's cool about it is because it's focused on uh, response inhibition, it targets a specific area of the brain known as the anterior cingular, cingulate cortex. And that part of the brain um, is responsible. F- you know, it, it, it's not the only aspect of your brain, but it's a big part of decision-making, self-control, um, essentially um, trying to achieve something with a goal, sort of a goal-oriented uh, mindset. And the last piece is it impacts or is the main mitigator uh, based on the research uh, on your perception of effort. And so what you perceive is what you experience. It's right. And um, what the system does is it basically overloads that part of your brain. It creates an adaptation and that adapt- adaptation uh, results in a generic uh, improvement in your resilience. And why I say generic is because, you know, your brain, when it comes to, managing fatigue, there could be any number of causes, but if you have more resilience, it's going to help you if you're just trying to put in a few more hours of work, if you're in a very stressful situation where you need to double down, if you're in sport, 
Um, so it's not about getting good at the test. It's about just creating an adaptation like you would in the gym where you're, you know, you're stressing your muscles out and they're, they're, they're adapting to that stimulus. We do the same thing with brain training. Yeah. I think when we first talked, I was kind of comparing it to like hormesis or when you go in a sauna, it, that's why going in a sauna is good for you because it's building your resilience to heat and it's making your, your body fight. It's the same thing with your brain, right? It's pushing you to fight mentally. Would that be a good way to look at it? Yeah. I mean, that's, you're, you're basically um, accelerating what you would normally feel if you pushed your body really hard physically, or if you just, you know, again, had to endure something difficult. What we're doing is accelerating that by, by giving a very highly targeted test that actually, you know, the more you do it, the more the system will adapt to you and, and continually up the difficulty. So <laughs> there's no real way to ever get good at it, but you definitely can adapt over time. And, you know, what they, when they look at the, the differences between like a, a professional athlete and an amateur athlete, the uh, professional athletes generally have a greater level of fatigue resistance to this test. Uh, and that's because they've, you know, either nature, nurture, you know, whatever their backstory is, they've been able to uh, really uh, create a greater level of resilience. Uh, and we can achieve that too through this structured training. Uh, so you do it, you know, you can do it. Um, the system will basically suggest the frequency, but you could do it. Typically, we recommend three to four sessions a week between 10 and 15 minutes each session. And that's enough. That's enough to create an adaptation. Oh, I love it. I love it. And for for someone who measures everything, I noticed this data set that was missing and I'm wearing three trackers and I'm noticing that there's something that's left off the table. And it started when I did this podcast on um, with talking about HRV and someone said, well, are you, are you using breathing? And I thought, well, yeah, but probably not as consistently as I could. I didn't have um, a method that I was using consistently and measuring it. And then I was glad to see that you didn't put this in a wearable device um, so that I have like all these hands <laughs> on my arm. A force device. <laughs> I know. I thought this is, I'm trying to get rid of some of these. But um, I was glad to see that we could learn this skill set through an app that's standalone. So thanks so much for creating that part. Was that intentional? You thought I don't want to wear another band? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, like you, I have several devices on at all times. So um, the the other piece of it is just that you know there are some high quality devices and they do capture useful information, but as individuals, we're left to figure it all out. You know, we have to look at you know, if we're wearing an aura ring, we have to look at our sleep and readiness and HRV and, uh, you know, respiration. And if we have the Apple Watch, hey, we're looking at our SPO2 and we're looking at our Apple Health and we're looking at our steps. And like, what is helping us understand the big picture? Um, so our system doesn't require you to, um, one, even have a device. But if you do, it's just additive. It's additive to the data and it will hone in, you know, more accurately, specifically on the physical side, but you could literally use the app with no device and get a lot of benefit out of it. Got so it. that was definitely intentional. Yeah. Got it. Perfect. So I listened to obviously all your podcasts, but the one <laughs> where you. you talked about is it phenomenal. I loved it. <laughs> So the one where you talked about your cyclist study and how brain training improved their results by 120%, that's phenomenal. Yes. Kind of revisit that and talk about any other yeah. outstanding stats that you saw? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, that's an interesting one because, uh, again, we're not talking about professional athletes. Uh, the researchers, uh, some, of, some of whom we work with directly, um, what they basically did is uh, they – um, took 30 amateur athletes and they trained them for three months on a bike trainer. They'd have to go to the lab and three times a week, they would, you know, do a 60, 90 minute tr uh, bike trainer session. 
the control group just did that, just did the physical training and the variant group or the, you know, the test group, they basically did that with the keyboard attached to their bike, doing the cognitive training that we have in our system. And basically after the three months, um, the control group improved by 40%, you know, which is kind of what you'd expect if they're amateur athletes and they're training very consistently, they're going to see improvement, which is great. And then the brain train group, they improved by 120%, as you said, and <laughs> where they improved was specifically around the sort of the most difficult part of the test. So what, how they did to, how they measured it is basically at several intervals, intervals during the test, uh, during that three month period, they did a time to exhaustion test, which is basically where you set a fixed power output, you know, which is basically a measurable level of effort on the bike. And you go until you can't pedal anymore. So you're going to the very end of your limit. And basically the brain trained folks went five minutes longer on average than the non-brain trained folks. Uh, and that's, that's significant, especially in sport, a five, you know, that 120% or even just simply five minutes uh, better on a, a sort of an hour bike training session is a major gain. Now, most people focus on how can I improve by a fraction of a percent? <laughs> you know, so yeah, that was pretty phenomenal. Um, the other research that I would share is um, on the recovery side, The um, they basically took the same type of cohort where, you know, you have a group of meditators and a group of non-meditators. Uh, and uh, what they did is they uh, subjected them all to 90 minutes of um, cognitive fatiguing tasks, which included some of the things we have in our system and additional ones to really make sure they were sort of cooked mentally. So that's 90 minutes, which is very difficult. We don't recommend that normally within our system. And basically then they had the meditators who have experience meditating um, go off and meditate for 15 minutes and the non-meditators just listen to binaural beats. Then they measured their level of cognitive fatigue and the non-meditators who just passively listened to the music didn't know, you know, didn't do anything explicitly had a greater level of cognitive recovery. So, you know, just showing how there is an alternative to meditation that can have a similar efficacy and a similar benefit and can be done more flexibly is powerful and exciting. That's one of the reasons we integrated it. Oh, it's interesting because like listening to that, you don't also don't know when someone's meditating, how they're meditating. I've, I've brought that point up, like just because true hugging in, you don't know how are you doing it? Are you doing it with the right amount of focus? Are you, um, are you engaged in what the person's saying? Or are you just, just like zoned out? You know, yeah. so there's you're, so much to, to this. There really is. And you're not going to get like, if you're using one of the meditation apps, they're not going to give you a meditation score. <laughs> <laughs> you're not going to, to your point, you're not going to know how you did. Right. There's a qualitative piece to it, which is very important. Um, but what our system also does is you can, you can wear a heart rate monitor and we'll show you specifically how the recovery system impacted your physiology in each stage. So you might say like, wow, my HRV improved in that session, you know, in that part of the session, or um, look at my resting heart rate went down, you know, when I was doing the um, visualization. So that just gives you more information about, you know, maybe what sessions to repeat or what things really resonate with you. You know, and the good thing is because our recipe includes all these different modalities, there's a higher probability that it's going to have some strong efficacy. It's just, you know, you have, a, you're placing a lot more bets and there's a lot more opportunities that it's going to help you. Um, and we'll also measure, of course, subjectively how you feel, which is very important. Uh, but you get the, basically the subjective and objective data after you do the session. Right. What do you think it was that got those cyclists to improve their results by 120%? Like when I, when I hear yeah. that, I think, you know how sometimes a trainer pushes you and they say, you know, right. you can do it. You can go another five minutes and you're thinking there's no way. <laughs> Is there something in the app that's like that, that gives you that sort of self-belief, like a trainer pushing you? Do you think that was behind it? 
so there we definitely have um you know we focus so when you look at like uh, mental toughness um and uh you know some really interesting research was done where they basically took like 600 uh, you know competitive endurance athletes and they tried to break down all the attributes of mental toughness and um you know one of them you know is clearly self-belief and confidence right those two things so which is kind of intuitive but the other one was cognitive control which really comes down to what do you tell yourself when things get difficult do you start to go negative do you start to go positive um and uh sort of those that internal dialogue that you have with yourself so what we have in the app is a self-talk program where we use researched self-talk phrases but even better is if you kind of personalize one and make it your own and it's something you can you can repeat as a cognitive cue uh, to get into the right mindset um, and to sort of push away some of that negative self-talk which is definitely not going to help you know that's that taps into you know your energy physically and mentally and if you have that sort of cycling as a negative mantra uh, it's not going to help you in in pretty much any respect some people are motivated negatively but (laughs) in general it's not going to be good for you so yeah that's one of the solutions we have for that purpose i love it and that kind of goes into one of the questions that i wanted to ask about how it's preparing us for life in general it's not just for athletes it's helping us to catch those moments outside of sport just when something like you said, unravels, and then we yeah. have that mental strength to stop that. Yeah, the the interesting thing about the research is uh, when they, you know, after they see that adaptation, so give it six weeks, you know, you start to see an adaptation in your resilience. Um, when it really kicks in is when you need it the most. So it's almost like, and I, I know you're, you're, um, you probably know this term, an adaptogen, um in terms of just like you know different types of amazing ingredients around the world that are going to sort of help you out when you need it most this resilience is kind of like an adaptogen in that uh in the research the subjects would have an increased amount of resilience in the first workout but then if they compounded it by having them do a second difficult workout the same day their resilience went up even even higher so like I did this bike race a few a few weeks ago, and it was this very interesting format where you basically do three races in one day. And I felt the strongest at the end of the day on the third race, you know, and that's where you want it. You want it when you need it most, right? <laughs> so building, you know, spending the time to, and it's not a lot of time, but consistently training your mind um, leads to this type of resilience that you can apply to a lot of different things. Um, building an app, <laughs> going on a hike, recovering from, you know, all, a lot of different challenges. So uh, yeah, it's something, it's got to be balanced with cognitive recovery, but it's something that's, that's very important and, and can be done and can be accessible to people. This is so good. I love it. So um, I had to listen to your hike up Mount Rainier and, and how you compared that hike to Mount Everest. And I'd interviewed on episode 45, someone who hiked up Everest and talked all about the preparation before. And I couldn't help thinking about how this app could have helped him before and during the hike. But here's something that I thought was phenomenal that you talked about. Can you explain how the app helps us to deal like we've just been talking about that mental strength that we've got to generate to prevent something from unraveling and let's just say we're on a mountain it could cause death or like losing a game it could be a death for an athlete like losing a game or preventing a life situation from getting worse can you take us through like how we actually can stop with our mental resilience these things from happening yeah i mean in a crisis you or in a really challenging situation you want to be in a calm ready state you don't want to be in a panic state because that actually just you lose energy right you you lose the the energy that you should be putting towards helping you perform get out of a crisis etc 
um, is being wasted by that mental energy, that cycling negative energy. And so what you want to do is, you know, you either use these protocols, meditate, use other techniques to be able to, um, you know, resiliency is, is really about um, being flexible, being adaptable to the circumstance. And so this type of training, both the recovery piece as well as the resilience piece, um, puts you in that place where you have to overcome adversity a lot. And what's great about that is you get time to practice. You know, it's kind of like the Stoic approach, right? Where the Stoic philosophers um, encourage people to prepare for those difficult times in life uh, so that when they did happen, they actually already had experienced some of it. So it wasn't, it wasn't a shock. It wasn't something that they were unprepared for or was new to them. So the resilience training, you just get comfortable with being uncomfortable and that's less of a trigger when it happens. So it's easier to be in a calm state because you're like, oh, I've been through this before. You know, I've been through this state where I'm like, I don't think I can get through this. <laughs> the The app is going, you know, the, what the app will do is if you start to answer the questions wrong, it becomes kind of a cascading effect. So it's sort of like snowballs. <laughs> you don't want, yeah. <laughs> you don't want that to happen. So, um, uh, you know, it's, it's really just about being able to practice being in those states and, and have the tools to learn how to maintain that sort of calm, ready state is, is how I would put it. Got it. Now, so we're doing this standalone. I'm doing the app on my own, but then you talked about something that's important. You're tied to somebody else on that mountain and how they perform impacts your life. And think about like a team, how a team performs yeah. impacts the results. So we can't be in control of anybody else's thoughts and and mindset, but how sure. It, how how would you say that this would be important for you you keeping the guy behind you calm is yeah there... yeah absolutely i mean that's a great point and i remember that moment that you're describing where um we're tied together there's a thunder thunderstorm we're hiking up a pretty difficult uh piece of rock uh you know and if i trip if he trips, if the guy in front of me trips, we all go down. <laughs> and, you know, again, we have to remember that we're social animals. So if one person panics, we're much more likely to panic. So in if I can keep myself together and I can be calm and I can have enough self-awareness, which is what I was trying to do in this moment, to think ahead for the person behind me. Hey, there's this difficult thing right here. Hey, be careful. I'm now... I'm, I'm now giving them support right. while I'm also maintaining my own cool. Uh, and that's how I would say sort of in that particular example, uh, it's important and it does impact other people. In other examples, um, you know, we do work with some teams uh, and, you know, we're in beta testing with the team's dashboard. And it's great for the coach to be able to see like, hey, these two athletes have a lot of emotionality today. And I can see they didn't get enough sleep and I can see that they're cognitively not as sharp. You know, maybe I won't just do my coach thing that I normally do where I push everybody really, really hard and I see if they respond. Maybe it's not such a good idea with these two. <laughs> Having the data makes the difference, you know. Wow. Wow. So on, on that, I did notice that you were doing a beta program. And uh, I wondered, are you, do you have a dashboard for certain sports? Do you have it separated like that? Or how do you have that beta section? Yeah, we, we have a wide variety of people in the beta. Um, professional athletes, um, athletes of all kinds, strength athletes, um, MMA fighters, runners, triathletes, uh, climbers, um, you name it we have them in the beta. And what's great having that diversity is that um, we see common themes and we also see things that are maybe very specific, like, a, you know, the, the challenges, depending on how sort of what degree of uh, mental the sport is, like for instance, swimming, it's a head game. It's skill-based sport. 
you know, you're in your head in a pool, you know, with very little gravity and it's all about, um, it, it's all about the mental game. So like, you know, what, what kind of tools do they need versus what kind of tools does maybe like, uh, um, a strength athlete need? Thankfully, the system's flexible to be used by all those different types of athletes, but maybe they need a little more emphasis on recovery, you know, or resilience training and so on. Um, you know, I was talking to a, a pro athlete who's a pro soccer player in Europe last week, and he was talking about how he had a game, a big game, where it's basically the number one team and his team. And he was really nervous, as would be expected. And he, you know, a little bit before the game, he talked about the baseball player meditating. He was like, ah, rewire. And he went and did, you know, a couple minutes of the rewire recovery. And then he had a great game, you know? And so he was able to just calm himself down, get into that ready state. Um, and those kinds of stories and those kind of use cases are really what the beta is about is so we can learn how to continue to optimize it. You know, we're, we're an app, you know, built for athletes by athletes and we're very, empathetic to all the challenges uh, and of course we also have there's a lot of um, frontline workers that are really interested in the product you know they're going through an incredible amount of stress um, we do see some you know military applications and some you know we just want people to be as prepared mentally physically emotionally for whatever challenge they face so that's a lot that's pretty much everybody <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Which is why I loved it myself when I when I saw this. And what would be the vision for where you're going? Yeah, we're building a, a piece of hardware which will. It's definitely not a a wearable, um, but essentially uh, it's a, a device you can use. You hold in your hands, and it allows you to layer on cognitive training while you go out for a run, while you're in the gym. Um, it basically allows you to sort of have that complement of brain training with physical training, which from everybody who's beta tested it, they, I'll put this in air quotes, but they say it's fun, right? <laughs> it adds another dimension to, to, you know, you feel like you've, you've really worked out physically and mentally, and that's pretty satisfying. It also is kind of nice these days with COVID where you know, you're a little bit bored with your sports equipment, so having something else to do while you're doing it's kind of fun. So that's something we've been working on, um, and uh, you know, it'll probably be mid next year that it rolls out. We think about, you know, depending on the individual, but a lot of us think about uh, performance and you know, getting better and 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 uh, challenging oneself over and over again. But you have to remember that. The way we adapt is in the recovery phase. You know, you don't actually get stronger when you're in the gym. You get stronger when you're out of the gym resting. So the the important part to all of this, as well as sort of pushing yourself, is self care and getting into a routine, even if it's just a few minutes where you're, where you're taking care of yourself every day. Maybe it's making a cup of tea and just unloading maybe it's going for a walk um, maybe it's doing this the recovery stuff that we have in our app but i think that that's really important especially these days it just gives you some perspective we have such a crazy uh go 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 mentality and culture these days that um you know it it's a precious thing just to give yourself a little bit of time it really is, and that's coming at uh, the perfect time for me to hear this when I haven't been on the mountain. I'm going up for eight days now, and I hadn't mm. taken a day off in a couple of years. So this has been wow. a powerful time to get away from the mountain and do something different. I love the app. It's, it's been phenomenal for me. So glad to hear it. Absolutely. Well, son, I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast for anyone listening who wants to try out the app i'll put the link in the show notes and they can click on it and do the free trial and i just want to thank you so much for your time today like i mentioned when we first spoke i'm going to be a lifetime member i'll continue to follow your vision i want to thank you for all you're doing to help build mental toughness and resilience for those of us who've been looking for a new way to accomplish this. 
So best of luck on the future of this app and all you're doing to prepare the world for mental and physical toughness. Thank you so much. It's been a true pleasure and I uh, look forward to future conversations. Absolutely. If you're enjoying the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning podcast, please don't forget to subscribe so you'll stay up to date with our new episodes. While you're there, please feel free to give us a review or a five-star rating as it helps others find us. For more information on our programs, books, and tools for schools and the workplace, visit us at www.achieveit360.com. 